You guys do any programming this week? I've really been enjoying the Scala course. It sometimes makes my head hurt. You know, and I also really appreciate one of the things about doing the Scala course is I feel like people are actually respecting the honor code. So I can talk to people about it and not be afraid that they're going to give me the answer. So people are actually, you know, even the forums online are very well, like even off course, are very well moderated to prevent people from just posting answers online so that you can actually work on figuring it out yourself. Oh, that's nice. And so I, I really appreciate that because, you know, it's everyone posts everything online. There's also there's plenty of statistics, actually, that people cheat. A lot of people cheat on uh, massive online courses, which is always an interesting psychological paradox because there's no degree. So and it's free. So why are you cheating? I wonder if my business friend that I, I jokingly told him he wanted me to fix something on a website that we both are a part of. And you and told him to take functional programming in Scala? No, no. I told him, <laughs> I, he said, like, what What can we do? And I said, you could learn Ruby, jokingly. And like a month later, he sent me a Code Academy Ruby completion certificate. Oh, you can't really cheat on those. No. Just because Code Academy is, well, one, you can't really cheat on it because you can cheat within the application. There's like a hint button, and so you can just keep hitting hint until it gives you the answer. Oh. <laughs> so at least, wait, well, that's code school. Maybe I just assume Code Academy does the same thing. I've never actually taken any of these courses except for the Rails for Zombies one. That's, yeah, that's code school. I haven't really done Code Academy. I've only run through Code Academy, Python, and JavaScript just because people ask me to look at what they are. So, so how, how far along in, in Scala are you? I just finished week two. I'm watching week three. I've been attending to play with Dart and other things in the past few weeks, but turns I'm out convinced you a... that you should you should scrap that idea and you should go for PureScript. What what is? Can you explain PureScript to me again? PureScript is Haskell for JavaScript. Oh, I'm gonna say that. I mean, they might disagree with me, but that's what it looks like. She's just baiting you in. <laughs> no, no, I'm for get real. There and it's gonna for look real. like. I don't know, some... Like drunk cats on speed? Drunk JavaScript with types or something. No, it's actually pretty fantastic. And it's kind of... I think it's the the next big thing. After ClojureScript is the current big thing. Okay, you, yes, I will agree that this looks like Haskell for JavaScript. Wasn't there actually like a Haskell implementation in JavaScript called... Was it called Fay? Oh, I don't know that name, but like I do remember like something... That it wasn't PureScript, but it was even more explicitly Haskell. So by saying PureScript is awesome, you're saying Haskell is awesome? I mean, sure. <laughs> I don't know. The, the, thing, the surprising thing is that I feel that I was kind of, uh, you know, with when we were talking a few weeks ago about whether I was, I was deciding whether I was going to commit to learning Clojure or, or Scala, and you said, hey, you should look into Haskell. You know, part of it is the things that I want to look at uh, you know, what can I learn after that? And so seeing that PureScript was Haskell-y, I was like, oh man, so now I'm going to have to learn Haskell after I spend all this work learning Scala. However, I think a lot of the techniques I learned in Scala will carry over to Haskell slash PureScript. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I think I, I don't... I play with Haskell enough to make something very simple. And I think what I'm stuck on right now is I don't completely get the... Um, I guess it's monads. Haskell has a lot of interesting uh, syntax for hiding the way that you move state around. Like there's a there's a do operator and a left arrow, and it's all very confusing for me. 
There's a Haskell hackathon in Philadelphia in uh, a week, uh, October. Are there going to be like three people and Corey Barker? <laughs> no, it's apparently it's going on every year for a few years. And I think there's some either Haskell core, like GHC or like Haskell library contributor that teaches at Penn. Um, so there, there is a little like, I guess, Haskell community in, in the, you know, Philadelphia colleges scene. Um, it's called hack Fi, Um, and I will, I'll put a link in the show notes, October 17th through 19th, and it is free and they're sponsoring food and, uh, there's lightning talks and they, they seem very welcoming to like, if you don't know any Haskell at all, or if you only know a little bit of Haskell and the basics, you know, and you have something to work on and you need help, you know, come hang out. So I plan on doing that. So actually we have managed to meander close to our topic for the week, which is teaching programming. Ooh. Since we've kind of been talking about the courses we're taking and what we're learning, but we wanted to talk about what it's like teaching programming and the various kind of pedagogy surrounding it, how you get started, how you keep people engaged afterward, that kind of jazz. So I guess, I guess so my personal experience uh, on the teaching side has been, I guess, more of a question form. So somebody is interested in learning, let's say, Ruby. And I say, okay, I would love to teach you Ruby. Then what happens? Like, So you've been doing some more of the kind of individual tutoring? Yeah, like, and I guess, I guess, interesting. I guess a lot of of people get asked to do that. And I I actually haven't done that. But that's because I do group classes. So I've wanted to do group classes, but never people have people have asked me to to do individual tutoring. But I the thing I actually always run into is, quite frankly, it's that I have to I know that I need to charge some money in order to be dedicated to it. But then I feel like I can't because generally it's a friend, I don't want to ask them to pay me what I want to get paid, and so I just don't do it. That's probably, that's out loud, that doesn't sound very nice. <laughs> no, so f- but, but it's like, well, I don't want to ask you to pay me my rate, so I just won't. <laughs> I think that's a general problem with doing work for friends or selling things to friends. Like, Yeah, it's like, I'm not going to do it for free, so I just won't do it at all. <laughs> Am I the right, only I- one that doesn't mind... Helping somebody <laughs> for free. No, I mean, I'll help someone on a singular thing, but, you know, teaching programming is especially like I would want them to be dedicated to it. That's actually also part of the filter is, you know, you know, I can send you, I can just send you a bunch of tutorials and tell you like, all right, now go in your corner and look at stuff and then maybe talk to me when you have questions and inevitably they like never come back or like either they're doing well on their own or they weren't that dedicated in the first place. So if someone's asking me for for free, then I feel like they don't have skin in the game. When people part with their money, they care about things more. I think Justin's experience is more like uh, meetups and stuff where people are already will... interested. No, it's more like it's more like friends I know outside the programming community that might know another programming language or don't know programming at all, and we we get to talking, and they're like, "Oh, I would love to learn that." Um, and I guess the best way for that to work is just you know learn on your own and then when you get stuck ask me yeah because then you aren't their dedicated tutor but i find people are really hesitant to bother somebody with a question because they think they're taking up your time yeah i don't mind as long as people don't do the the key thing is did you try and google it first like if you've (laughs) gone through all the steps and you're still stuck so it's actually i'm i've been getting help with some people from 
from a friend at work with the Scala course, and he just, you know, will take 10 minutes to, and we'll just talk out loud about first order predicate logic, which is just something that it helps to talk out loud for. So, because I don't, it's, it's the stuff with the funny letters and the letters are upside down and backwards and uh, that's, yeah, first order predicate logic. Because in the homework, it was like, as you remember from first order predicate logic. And it's like, Martin O'Dayskri, I do not remember that. <laughs> I don't even know if I ever did that. So, but, but yeah, so it's, so he is taking just a short amount of time to talk it through with me, not giving me the answer and not, you know, spending hours, you know, doing the basic stuff. Like I'd already kind of looked around and done as far as I could without, you know, I didn't want to accidentally find the answer because he was willing to talk it through with me. So, right. That that phrase you you said reminded me of um somebody, What phrase was that? Uh Justin. As you remember from um As you remember. So so as one, so, as one does is another one of my favorite phrases. So Mike Nicolaitis has a Vim plugin where it's I don't think it's called offensive um offensive strings. Offensive strings. Well, it's basically like when you're writing documentation, uh there are certain things you should not say like obviously the answer is or as you remember from whatever. Yeah. Uh, whereas like it's... Just being an annoying jerk. Yeah. Like like you're assuming somebody knows something or you're assuming something is easy or... It's actually, you know what that is? That violates the hacker school rules. Oh, yeah? The the hacker school rules have... Ugh, I'm going to have to find them because they do... They explicitly mention cer- some phrases about just don't talk that way because it makes it sound like you sound like you're a jerk. Yeah. And it makes the person that is reading it, if they don't... If you make an assumption about their knowledge and they don't know that, it, it kind of blocks them from actually going further with it mentally. So we're talking about teaching programming or learning programming? Teaching. Teaching. That's okay. the idea. Okay. But don't we also learn as we teach? I do. I find it's one of the best ways to learn something is to teach it. I agree. Because I'm like, I have to explain this and I don't actually know how to put it into words. Yeah. Well, and also I find that beginners have really good questions. Yeah. I don't do much of this anymore, but I used to teach Python. And I had one time I had this one student who was, I mean, she was going to be, fan- I hope she's, you know, a professional now because she just was, she was basically like, oh, so can I do this? What happens if I pass this data type to this method? What's up with that? Is that an expected behavior? And we're like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it is. Awesome for you. And she'd have a question and we'd be like, all right, so try it. So. It's pretty great. So if somebody wanted to teach in a group setting, how would they go about that? I mean, you can do your own or you can approach an established program. So I teach through established programs. Did one Was it one of you all who taught the Ruby workshop a couple years ago? Javon, was that yours? Or who did it? Was it Dan? The Ruby workshop is Greg. Greg. Uh, Greg Sterndale. So, and, and you. You were. Yeah. Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So that was, you all completely organized it. It wasn't attached to any any program or anything. And you even wrote your own curriculum. Yeah. So do you have anything to say about that? It depends. I mean, you can, it's probably easier to go with someone established, like, because they would probably already have a curriculum for you. But we just wanted to do it. And we were just like, we're going to do it. And we did it. So I guess my advice is just do it. Nike, just do it. <laughs> thought when you were talking about how you all were teaching a college class was kind of interesting like that's like institution institution when i was talking about you know teaching on your own and you know running your own registration running your own curriculum i was thinking and versus being with an organization i wasn't even thinking university i was just thinking i mean i teach with girl development and i've also done um 
I was going to teach with Third Ward before they evaporated. And so. But how did Matt do the adjunct thing? Uh, I have know a few people who've done the adjunct thing. I heard it's not a very good gig, actually, though. In terms of... It's not good for money. Return. It's good for the resume. Right. For return on investment, for the amount of time you have to put in, it's not efficient. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he had to spend a lot of time making the curriculum, but... No, but straight up that if like when you for the time that you have to be there versus what you get paid, it's not quite worth uh, it. Okay, yeah, it seemed like he was there compared to what you do if you run your own workshop and just you know bang it out in three days. And that's true. It seemed like he was there for uh, office hours and then a class, so maybe like three or four hours a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not insignificant. But it also depends on the convenience. If he wasn't living in the city, I knew someone who adjuncted at one of the suburban community colleges. And so he was commuting 90 minutes for this gig. Wow. And so it was, it's a big deal, but it seems like it's actually, you know, the, the, the longer I go, the more I see listings for adjuncts that, you know, they, they just want to hire from the industry because colleges are so behind on their curriculum because it takes industry things so long to bleed into academia. I think I would like to maybe teach at a, um, K through 12 level at some point. Like I, I, I've thought about it. I don't know if I'm actually ever going to ask about it, but asking like local schools, probably wherever my children end up going to school, maybe I could teach Ruby to, I don't know, kids of some age. I think the way people do that is after school club hmm. because then it's a lot more accessible. You should in join terms the robotics club. You can just, yeah, you can do robotics club. You could do like, you could even just do programming club, stuff like that. You could do it for the the Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts. Because when I was in high school, there were there were a lot of um, like engineering type classes, but none specifically programming. There were computer things like three D design or CAT. IT essentials. What, what was that? IT essentials. No, they didn't have like any of that stuff. It was more like here's how you use Microsoft Office. Yeah, they had that at my high school. Um, and, and then you had to be in a special program in order to take real computer science, which I was not. And in elementary school, we did logo. I was in performing arts. And in middle school, we had uh, basic classes. But in high school, nothing. So I'm curious how, uh, where I live now, in beautiful Cherry Hill, New Jersey, uh, what they do as far as computer science in K-12. through So how do you guys approach teaching? I mean, so if, I'm, if I have a class scheduled... Part of it depends on if I have curriculum already or if I'm writing it. So I've written curriculum a few times, and that's hard because you're trying to write for like two hours of content at a time and trying to have it make sense and be a coherent whole. The first time I wrote curriculum, I was not very good at it. Now I am better at it. So when you do that, do you start with slides or like an outline? or? Always outline because I generally – because I want to have for a multi-session class – I want to have each, I start the outline of everything I want to cover from beginning to end, and then I need to break it up into sensical parts so that each session has kind of an achievement moment. So, you know, it's a big thing, especially when you're teaching adults and why I like teaching adults is that they're there because they want to be and no one made them. And if they, you know, they can just like get frustrated and leave if they want because they're adults. They aren't kids and they aren't just going to like stay because that's what they believe they have to do. Because kids can be punks. So adults are definitely punks too, but usually they'll just not show up. And so it's what 
So how can I keep them motivated and, you know, explain complicated concepts in such a way that they stay motivated and will keep coming and learn the next complicated concept? And I think that that's a fun challenge. I also, when I talk about teaching, I always forget then remember to mention that I'm also, I, I'm also a certified yoga teacher. And I think actually that learning to teach yoga helped me be a better classroom teacher because you're teaching adults. So with that same thing of teaching adults, but also that it matters a lot that you give people a goal and that you, that it also matters how they feel. So that's my secret to being a good yoga teacher is that I always care about how people feel. So I'm a big uh, board game nerd and I was actually watching this video about how to teach board games and it is like criticizing things most people do. Like they just start reciting all of the rules and everyone's just sitting there and their eyes get glazed over. You're not going to remember half the rules. And it was just saying like, you should kind of like start with the goal and like give them, give them something tangible to play with. And I was thinking about teaching programming. Like when yeah, you just I think go you to class. Give, when I talk about board games, I always want to know what the point is first. And people start with well then there's the first turn it's like no tell me what the point is like what's the end game totally and so if i know the end game then we can just kind of start and i can see how things serve the end game but yeah i i do like your point that that's kind of also that's also definitely especially particularly for teaching programming versus anything else that when you teach people and you're you have to start with stuff you know like let's interpolate strings you know people are like this is dumb I, I'll never interpolate strings, even though, of course, like you actually do, like all the time. Right. Um, but, but from a student's perspective, they say, "Oh, this is so, so, you know, this is so trivial." I'm just making an alert that says my name or whatever. And it's like, well, how about when you're going to need to put strings together when you need to create file paths? You know, so giving them, you know, I think there there was one example in JavaScript class the last time I taught it that. I was like, oh, this is a really good example. It was, they were asking, and it's always so funny because that's, that's why beginners are so awesome is because they're like, well, why do I need to do this? And you're like, I do this all the time. I like, I trust me, you will use it, but they don't believe you. So you have to give them a real thing. And so I, the thing I did, uh, so what was it? It was events. So talking about events and watching things on the page and I said, well, you know, when you go and fill out a credit card form and you start typing and then it fills in the icon for what what credit card company you're using or whatever, like it'll say Visa, MasterCard, that's because of an event handler because it's watching that form and when it has enough data, it makes a decision about which icon to show. And they're like, whoa. It was pretty great. Best moment of the last class I taught. <laughs> My only experience, like programming from the ground up, I think I talked about it on the show before, but I kind of tried to employ the same thing, and I just had everybody uh, kind of do these incantations to uh, make a Sinatra site on Heroku, and I just like had everyone type along, and uh, I think it was great. People like actually, you know, got a site that they pushed to Heroku in like fifteen minutes, and then I think they were just super hungry to like know more about what they did and why why it worked you just kind of like kicked them off and got them started and they were like you were just like just type this stuff and we'll get to is that the kind of approach you went to yep yeah sometimes that's how you have to do it and it's it's hard to not stop and explain everything but that actually serves the person a bit less right how about skill level in the class did you guys ever have a mix a real mixed batch that made it difficult to plan what to teach or 
I've had someone come to JavaScript class. This happened probably multiple times, expecting to learn Java. <laughs> That's always a disappointment. I I feel really bad for them. They always seem to do okay. They haven't really actually no one of them did drop out like immediately, but another one stuck through it and just got on board. So good on them. Why didn't you just teach Java? Why didn't you just teach Java? <laughs> I tried to learn Java once, but I try. I insisted on using Vim. And the- when you teach a, a Rails class, why didn't you teach Grails? Oh jeez. Groovy on grill. <laughs> do we ever? I I think have we talked about this before? Do we ever want to get a junior developer on the show? Yes. And like talk to them about junior developer problems. Yeah. I think their I think their voices are probably not very well heard. I think they'll have some really interesting opinions. Speaking of, uh, come back to me. <laughs> <laughs> Way to bury the lead there. <laughs> Speaking of, I'll uh, in my picks. What? Okay, <laughs> secret. Are we ready for picks then? I think we're ready. I think Justin's yeah, ready. I'm like, not ready. Okay, come, on, come back yeah. to me. God, you're the worst. My pick is just a, a pick follow-up. I'm actually still using Habit RPG, and uh, I've actually, a lot of my habits that I were kind of like lofty have become ingrained, so I love it. Um, it's actually interesting if you if you put a habit on your to-do list and you don't do it, your little avatar will actually start taking damage every day you don't do it. And I, I died. Was this the app you wrote? No, no, I did not write this. It's a it's habitrpg.com, and it's like gamification of your to do list, which has been done before, but this one's a pretty good uh, implementation of it. And if you put something in your to do list and you don't do it, you start taking damage. And if you do it, you get experience, and you can get all kind of like you know new uh, new weapons and things. And uh, yeah, I died and I lost all my stuff because I wasn't doing any of my habits. Um, so it's good, and I've been doing doing more things. Like one of the things I try to do is, you know, practice Vim a little bit every day, and I'll start by trying to practice just like five minutes, and I'll usually you know practice for fifteen or more. So it's it's good just to like break that inertia. I have a question: uh, Is there something? Is there such a thing as like Vim katas? Yeah, Wouldn't that be kind of cool? There's a, I know there's like Vim golf. Well, so yeah, that's not really the. Oh, okay, well, I mean Vim golf because kind of so that's good. If you do um, help Vim tutor in Vim. There's essentially yeah. a text file that tells you what keys to press as you go down the file. Yeah. I find that to be pretty close along those lines. Kind of, like, of. Yeah, like try this now. Like a Cohen. Yeah. What I've been doing is just looking at the plugins I have. And there's some of them like, what does this even do? And I forgot. And just looking at the help file of it. Or deleting it. Yeah, if I can't figure out what it does, I delete it. <laughs> so I can, I can go next. I have my picks. So I don't think I picked this one yet. But I'm going to pick it. Partially because I just love the title and the preface. Um, I have not read it yet. Um, and you'll probably know why when I tell you the title. And it is an introduction to functional programming through Lambda Calculus. So, yeah. I So, it's it's related to me taking a Scala course. I, I don't know how I found it. Maybe I found it on Papers We Love. So, but Co- I think Corey, that was Corey's picks. Last it was Corey's. Yeah. Damn it. Well, and if you follow him on Twitter, he's tweeting a bunch about how he's essentially writing a that's why. How did it end up in my picks folder then? Damn it. All right. <laughs> he, he's essentially um, like. Right, I keep like a. I keep a bookmark because so the, the thing is that he didn't mention is the fun. It has a fantastic first paragraph that says, "Given that title, it says this book aims to provide a gentle introduction to functional programming." <laughs> why would you like lead with lambda calculus if you're going for a gentle introduction? I can see like. It's, like what you're like lambda calculus, whatever. So in Haskell, right? Oh damn it! It is one of his picks. Oh, yeah. No, no, no functions take more than one argument. Well, I have another pick too. It just has syntax sugar for so if you have a function that takes two arguments, 
it is actually a function that takes one argument that then returns a function that takes the second argument that then executes the function. So knowing that about Haskell kind of, and kind of like current, yeah, and, and no. knowing that about Haskell and learning a little bit about uh, Lambda calculus, it makes a lot more sense. So I I can see how learning a strictly functional programming language such as Haskell would be helped by having a base knowledge of Lambda calculus because a lot of things would make sense. Also like con cells and cutter and car and all that. It's crazy. Okay, well. Let's see if I accidentally also gave away my other pick. I think I haven't done this one, but it's a pattern language, which is this book from the 70s that actually inspired software design patterns. And it's a book about cities and like how we should construct cities and things like that. And it has a lot of really funny, interesting things. I heard about it via Trust Rachel on Twitter. She's super cool if you want to follow cool people. Um, but she basically started last, I meant to actually mention this last week. And since I effed up my first pick this week, I'm glad I still have it. Um, but she was just tweeting pictures from it of just, you know, we should design spaces so that there's, you know, places for people to sleep where they can see other people, because that's like one of those mammalian human things that we actually like. Like, that's why you fall asleep on the couch in the living room, because you like to fall asleep around other people. And it's kind of it's kind of cute, but that and so it describes patterns in the way we design cities, and that's kind of how it it inspired software design patterns. Architects love this book. Everyone loves this book. You'll love this book. Endorsed. Nice. And it's free on the internet. It's kind of hard to get a hard copy, but you can read it for free on archive.org. All right, are you ready for your pick now, Justin? I am. Uh, so I finally found it. Uh, it is the Code Newbie podcast. Oh, yeah, from the hashtag Code Newbie people. Uh, maybe, probably. That's They, they have like a group <laughs> chat on Twitter, yeah, and then yeah. that's how they end up starting a podcast. They're super cool. They're a great group of yeah. people, and it's a great community if you're new. They already have four episodes. So. Um, I have not listened to them yet, but I've added them to my podcast app, and I plan to. Um, but everybody that has listened to them says that it's really good. Um, so yeah. you should definitely check it out uh, for, as Pam was saying, the you know beginner point of view Um I'm going to see this being really great. I'm probably going to, anybody that asks me to learn programming, I'm probably going to suggest this to them. Um, I have a second pick, and it is called teammate.io. So if you use Tmux, you can, Tmux is a terminal multiplexer, which means somebody else can use your terminal session as you're using it, uh, which is really great for remote pairing or even local pairing sometimes. So, but it can be kind of a pain to get everything working and like ports forwarded and all that. Uh, so somebody can connect to you. But Teammate's really great. It replaces Tmux, and then as soon as you start Teammate, it actually connects to Teammate's servers and gives you an SSH connection string you can give to somebody else. So you just copy and paste the string, give it to somebody else, and then they are using the same terminal as you. Um, and it's really great. And if you're concerned about security, there's a way to like host your own server. Um, so yeah, teammate.io. Jervon, do you have a pick? I do. Uh... My music pick is uh, a song called Bury Them Bones by Emancipator. And then I've been trying this meditation app called Headspace. That's pretty cool. So check it out. Cool. Uh, so show notes are at turing.cool slash 23. Uh, follow us on Twitter at turingcool. And I'll uh, talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye.
Pumpkin oh. spice Oreos we bought. That was pretty good. Shut up. Are, wow. Why are Oreos the best? I don't know. They're so good. I got some birthday cake Oreos. I'd heard about them, and I actually ordered them from Amazon because I wanted them. And they were really good. My wife loves birthday cake everything. So Are Oreos vegan? Yeah. They are now. I like was all vegan. of them are. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Since when? Since, Since like, 2007. Oh, really? seriously? You actually, like, remember when? I was vegan. <laughs> when it, like, when they went? Yeah, I was vegan when we had to do the great vegan lie. The great vegan lie was that uh, Hydrox are better than Oreos. Because Hydrox were oh. always vegan. <laughs> so I thought it was the opposite. I thought there was, like, some natural... Maybe it was, like, Trader Joe's Oreo cookies. I don't know. No, Oreos. Oh, yeah, like Numinos. Numinos. Yeah, there, there was some like really good Oreo knockoff that was like healthier but not vegan. So yeah, they well because yeah, the reason Oreos are vegan is because they aren't made of anything. <laughs> They're made of like cardboard and wishes. Delicious wishes. Yeah. Hey, uh, event alert! Haskell Hack Fi registration is almost full. Four spots left as of October seventh. Can you drop it in the back channel? Who's running it? Uh, let me see. Because then that determines whether I can just show up. Richard Eisenberg and oh, An- I don't think I know. Antel Specter Zabuski. Yeah, I know. And there's an attendees page, which is weird because you register one way, and then there's a separate attendees page, which is a wiki page. And there's like, hey, if you want, add yourself to this page, <laughs> which is a terrible way to track that stuff. I mean, I guess you don't want to be forced I mean, to show everybody you're showing up. I but. mean. I, you know, I mean, it's too bad computers can't take form data and then add someone to a list. <laughs> it's, you know. Yeah, well, that wouldn't be. Uh, one day we'll live in the future. Well, Haskell doesn't, but if doesn't have in. state, so you can't do that. What say, is that funny letter at the end? Uh, Hack. Phi, apparently. I didn't know that. Today I learned math symbols. That doesn't look like phi. What is a phi? Well, I thought the the stick went all the way through. Doesn't it? This stick looks like it goes... Like an O and then through the middle and not through the top and bottom. Maybe you're looking on your I guess Android I'm... phone. Your Android phone doesn't know what phi is. No, I'm just thinking about college and how I wrote Most phi likely. in college. Um, which was drew a straw circle and then draw a big old line through it. There's also a event on Philly Lambda. Uh, so I'll put that in there too. I don't think this actually counts as registering. I think you need to actually register through the website. But there's that too. How big is this Levine 307 Levine room? Levine? I think I've been in there. I feel Levine like I've been in there. I've definitely been in there, but I don't remember what it's it It's pretty like. big. Is it? Is it one of the circle ones? Derp. Uh, I think that it's one of the ones with the stage. Oh. Is that where we taught the Ruby Rails Oh, thing? Oh, wait. No, no, no. You know what? I'm mixing it up. So I was thinking of... So that's Levine... I was thinking of Huntsman Hall um, and the auditorium there. The auditorium at Huntsman is really big. Levine, they had, uh, that's in the School of Engineering. That makes sense. Uh, and so Lion Hall is a building, and then room 307 is God knows how big. So I think that's yeah. where we taught the class, Justin. You all taught a class there? Uh, I taught uh, Rails as an adjunct thing one time because. Jervon was teaching it with Matt Schaefer, and Matt Schaefer was leaving, and Matt Schaefer wanted Jervon to take over, but Jervon didn't have a college degree. 
uh, so he couldn't teach at Penn officially. And then what? I came and taught a class, and he was like, hey, do you want to teach this full-time? And I was like, hey. But you can't teach at Penn if you don't have a college yeah, degree? Yeah, I was like, hey, I don't have a college degree either. <laughs> uh, I found that- How did they find out? Did you did you just, like, volunteer that information, Jervon? No, you, you have to submit a resume. Yeah, And I, they I'm- were like, where's your college? Yeah, I think so. We're cutting all this out, right, Lynn? Yes. Weird. I feel like there's... Well- professors who don't have degrees there are but not a pen mm-hmm. other colleges probably a pen is super <laughs> on my resume well when i cared when i actually had a resume i would always put, put the years i went to college but never anything about not having a degree people would just be like oh, i graduated in three years <laughs> <laughs> wait so you went to college for three years yeah where'd you go uh, Bloomsburg University State School. And why did you leave at the end? Oh, I I, I didn't leave. I just took a year off. And you're still taking a year off. Yeah. Yes. What was your major? Like, what do you have credits in? Uh, uh, computer science. So you could like do some school for a year and get a bachelor's degree in computer science. Can't now. It's been yeah. too long. Oh, has it? Yeah. Uh, for one, you have to do so many so many credits residency. So you, if you went back, you'd have to go for at least two years. And furthermore, if it's been over 10 years since you had those credits, they probably aren't good anymore. It's been 10 years? It's been more than that. <clears throat> Man, you're old. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> you're mean. I actually don't know how old Lynn is. I, I assumed I was older, but maybe not. Are you serious? I heard he's 26. <laughs> yeah, let's go he with that. 26. <laughs> yeah. I started college in 1995. Oh my God, are you 40? No, 37. Wow. <laughs> Math, Justin, Jesus. <laughs> it was a. Uh, Are you. I'll pick a decade. <laughs> napkin. He's rounding up. Not that hard. So I'm 30. I assume that Len was like 27. Did you really? Yeah. Uh, I assume dashing. that too sometimes. Yeah. I assume that when I didn't know Len personally. And then. And then he told me his age. Oh, I didn't ask. <laughs> and then it was not a mystery. <laughs> Remember we did the quit the quit uh, spreadsheet? I had quits going back to like 1997. Yeah. I didn't actually yeah. look at that. When was my first quit? You should have filled out the quit spreadsheet. Probably 2000. It's not too late. You can be cool too. 